0: You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today, we are in week number three of a four-week series that will end next week uh, called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I think we all want that, right? Like we all want our relationships to be healthy, uh, I, I've never met anybody that has said, you know what I want? I want my relationships to be dysfunctional. I want my relationships to be a dumpster fire. I just want them to be awful. That's what I want. I've never met anybody that has told me that, but I think deep down we all want emotionally healthy relationships, and here's really the big idea of this series is that emotionally healthy relationships are made up of emotionally healthy individuals. So emotionally healthy marriages and and dating couples and families and friendships, like all those are made up of emotionally healthy individuals. Let me put it this way, that the result of you getting healthier will be your relationships will get healthier that if you just take personal responsibility and that's what I've been encouraging you to do throughout this series is not try to fix other people, but just say, hey, I take responsibility for me and I'm gonna make the choice to do the hard work and let Holy Spirit work on the inside of me so that I can become more emotionally healthy. That will then affect every single relationship that we have. And in this series, really the picture that God gave me is that we we all have these we all have a, a life which is represents like th- this toolbox and that we just like a good toolbox needs certain tools that we all need relational tools all of us there's certain relational tools that we need in our relational toolbox so that we can have emotionally healthy relationships. And so throughout this series, we've been talking about different relational tools that we need. And in week one of this series, we talked about awareness. And last week, we talked about assumptions and expectations. And this week, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, we're going to be talking about this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Conflict. Come on, who's excited to talk about conflict? Conflict. Um, yeah, not a lot. That's cool. Um, but the reason why we have to talk about this subject in this relational tool is, is because we're, we're all going to experience conflict. Like there's no way around. It doesn't matter your relationship status. I promise you, you're going to experience conflict in your relationships. It's not a matter of Of if, but when. In fact, just to make sure that I'm not crazy, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. How many of you have ever experienced conflict? Just raise your hand, and if you've ever experienced some conflict, let's just get real. Let's be open and honest in church. How many of you have experienced conflict this week? Over the past seven days, you've experienced a little bit of conflict in your life. How many of you, just, just to be honest, you've experienced this morning? I mean, just like maybe on the way to church, she was just like, all right, let's get into it, okay? Yeah, we all experience conflict, and um, now two weeks from tomorrow, from tomorrow, Heather and I actually celebrate our 19-year wedding anniversary, 19 <laughs> years, yeah? We're excited, and... Um, I've showed a picture from our wedding uh, multiple times here with Awesome Pinky Ring. I know that you remember that. Uh, but I wanted to show you even an older picture. This is actually the very first picture we ever took. It was right when we started dating. I mean, look at that. Look at that, that young, amazing, beautiful little couple. I mean, it just those two babies have no idea what's about to come their way. And, uh, you know, now, I don't even know, 20 plus years later, uh, you know, we have been married 19 years almost, and um, our marriage is great, uh, but we've we've also experienced our share of conflict. In other words, like, we have had a lot of fights. I'm not going to be the pastor that stands up here and it tries to act like man we have the perfect marriage where we never experience conflict and we never fight because one that wouldn't be true second i don't think you would even believe me if that was the case and so our marriage is great but man we fought about a lot of stuff we fought about pretty much everything we have fought about how dirty the house is and how dirty our cars are we fought about how the pantry is organized We fought about the temperature of the house, both it is too cold at times and it is too hot at times. Uh, We fought about leaving the lights on and leaving the lights off. Uh, We have fought about, this is real, we're about to get real in church. We have fought about which way the toilet paper should be on the roll. And like all sane people, I am team over the top all day long. What's that? By the way, she, she just wants to clarify. She just doesn't care. She just doesn't care. She just doesn't. Got you. You're welcome. She said, I felt judged after the first service. And so we, we've even fought about how we use toothpaste. Now, I have found this picture, and I think it is so funny, but also so true, that there literally are just two kinds of people in the world. People that are on the left, and you need some prayer. I'm just telling you, there's something wrong. And then the good stewards in the house of God that go to the right side, make sure we get every bit of that out. Um, we thought about that uh we've 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 fought about how clothes should be folded uh we've fought about how i drive and how she drives we've fought about what to watch on tv we've had conflict over what we eat what time we eat how much we eat like just that's it that's all we're that's all we're doing today huh we're just doing that okay cool um we, we, we have fought about me not cleaning up the little tiny hairs after trimming my beard that's on the sink. And I'm just testifying right now. I'm just, we fought about how we should handle money and how we should parent our kids. I'm just telling you, man, we fought about a lot of stuff. And uh, over the years, as we've grown and as we've learned, honestly, the more that we've become aware, um, we have learned that we are actually night and day different when it comes to conflict. Um, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm actually an Enneagram 8, uh, which, which, the, the, which is known as like the name of an Enneagram 8 is the Challenger, uh, which means I am very, very comfortable with conflict. Um, I kind of, I low-key enjoy it. Like, I kind of, I like it. Um, I think it's kind of fun. I know, guys, I know I got issues. I do, I know. Um, But I've actually learned through counseling. I've been in counseling uh, since uh, January 2021. And so for the last couple of years, uh, I've been in counseling, seeing a therapist. And I've actually learned through counseling that I actually connect through conflict. Like God wired me in such a way that whenever there's some conflict, man, I feel closer to people. And, uh, and so, but Heather is the exact opposite. She's actually an Enneagram 9, uh, which is known as the peacemaker. And here's what that means. That means that she hates conflict. Like she cannot stand it. It's almost like an attack on her very soul whenever she experiences conflict. And it makes her very uncomfortable and she feels very disconnected through conflict. I'm telling you, we could not be more different when it comes to conflict. I like it. She doesn't like it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with it. It's, it's so hard for her. I feel close and connected whenever conflict happens. She feels disconnected. I'm telling you, like we could not be more different. And on top of our personalities, on top of how we're naturally wired, we've also learned that how we grew up and the families that we grew up in, our families of origin, greatly impact how we handle conflict today. Because I grew up in a family where fighting was normal, that when you had a conflict with someone, you immediately let them know about it and you just had it out and you dealt with it and you ended it no matter if it was loud, sometimes maybe it was emotional, even a little bit messy, but you just dealt with it immediately. But Heather grew up in a family that did stuff very differently. Like she grew up in a family where the normal way to deal with conflict was to not even really deal with conflict. Like whenever conflict would come up, the normal operating procedure of the home that she grew up in was that everybody just went to separate rooms until everything kind of cooled down a little bit. Just don't say anything. Just kind of go off in your separate space and just sweep it all under the old emotional rug until everything just, poof, goes away. So when you put all that together our two different, very different personalities, our two different ways of naturally dealing with conflict, and our two different families of origin, and you put all that together, that really is an equation and a recipe for a lot of disaster and dysfunction when it comes to conflict. And church, can I just be honest with you today? Like this has been an area in our relationship that has been really hard This has been an an area where we haven't always gotten it right. This has been an area where we have really struggled. And maybe you're here today, and you're the same exact way when it comes to conflict. But whether you are or you're not, the truth is, is that we will all experience conflict in our relationships. It is coming whether you want it or not. It is coming whether you like it or not. It is coming whether or not your family of origin liked it or not. It is coming whether or not your natural personality likes it or not. It is coming. And I love this quote by Max Licato, who's an author and a pastor. And he said, conflict is unavoidable, but combat is optional. Isn't that good? That conflict Man, it is unavoidable. We need to recognize that and acknowledge that today, but combat is optional. This is on my heart so much, and somebody needs to hear this. Conflict is not bad. Bad conflict is bad. Unhealthy conflict is bad. But good conflict, healthy conflict, man, it can be so good. It can be so helpful. It can be so healthy because conflict, I believe with all my heart, when done the right way at the right time with the right heart, will always lead to the right results. I believe it with all my heart. Let me put it this way. That healthy conflict, it leads to healthy relationships. And that's why if we want to have emotionally healthy relationships, we have to wrestle with conflict. So handling conflict in a healthy way, God's way is a much needed tool that you need in your relational toolbox to experience emotionally healthy relationships. And here's what I've discovered is that this book, the Bible, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, that it talks a lot about conflict. This book is full of conflict. In fact, just to name a few, Adam blamed Eve. Cain was jealous of Abel. Sarah envied Hagar. Jacob lied and deceived Esau. Laban manipulated Jacob. Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph over his other sons. Then Joseph flaunted that favoritism over his brothers. Then his brothers actually thought about killing him, threw him in a hole, and then sold him as a slave. Moses was disappointed in Aaron. Delilah betrayed Samson over and over again. Naomi and Ruth had different visions about what to do. Saul and David's relationship was a literal emotional roller coaster. Absalom tried to overthrow King David, who, by the way, was his dad. Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha, was actually made fun of for being bald. Um, Daniel disagreed with the Babylonian culture and government of his day. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. Peter denies him, Judas betrayed him, and Ananias didn't trust Paul that he actually changed his life. Paul and Barnabas later went their separate ways after a heated disagreement. Paul confronted Peter for treating people with favoritism, and the early church argued and was divided over all types of stuff. And the truth is, there's so much more. This is Book is full of conflict. Some of it good and healthy, some of it very bad and very unhealthy. But today, I want to look at one thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. And some of you have been around, uh, and you know that earlier this year we actually did a series called "The Greatest Sermon of All Time," where we looked at the largest recorded teaching of Jesus in the Bible—the Sermon on the Mount—with his Matthew Matthew five six. And seven. And so what we're going to read is part of that sermon, and it's part of the very start of that sermon, which is known as the Beatitudes, which is where Jesus He redefines what happiness looks like. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, listen to what he says. Jesus says, Blessed are the, and everybody say that word on the count of three. One, two, three. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, this is um, an easily misinterpreted verse in the Bible. Most people, they read this, and they think Jesus is telling us to do everything that we can to just keep the peace. Do whatever you gotta do to not rock the boat, to not make anyone upset, to be a pacifist, to ignore things, to turn a blind eye, to not bring up any problems or issues, and to do your very best to avoid conflict like the plague because after all, you're a peacemaker. But if Jesus meant that, Then why do we see him 16 chapters later in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13? Why do we see this where it says that Jesus, he entered the temple and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into something different, a den of thieves. And then two chapters later, after that, in Matthew chapter 23, you'll read it. It's It's 36 verses of Jesus challenging and confronting the hypocrisy of religious leaders with a very strong direct language where he actually calls them hypocrites and blind fools. So I ask you, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, hey, blessed are the peacemakers, and then he goes and he does these things, is Jesus being a hypocrite? I mean, is he asking you to do something that he's not willing to do himself? Is he asking you to be a peacemaker, but he's not willing to be a peacemaker? Because after all, he is disrupting a lot of stuff. See, so here's the big idea of the message that I want to make sure that we get, because you have to understand that there is a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. There is a very big difference between those two. Jesus calls us to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. They are not the same thing. And I've tried my very best to define them. And a peacekeeper is someone who maintains the illusion of peace by avoiding conflict at all costs. And I say illusion of peace of peace by because, because it's not really peace whenever you avoid conflict just for the sake of peace. Like that is not true peace. In fact, peace is not the absence of conflict, peace is the presence of righteousness. Now I'm telling you, that is better preaching than what you're responding. It just is. Listen, like peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of righteousness. Let me explain. Because in James chapter 3, verse 18, a beautiful verse, it says, those who are peacemakers, they will plant seeds of peace. And then those seeds will reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, one biblical dictionary, it actually defines righteousness as, get this, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So another way to read that verse is those who are peacemakers, you're going to plant seeds of peace, and then you're going to reap a harvest of correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So when we are a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker, when we are a peacekeeper, we actually miss out on that harvest of righteousness, on that harvest of correct thinking, feeling, and acting. And we settle for something totally different that Peter Schizero, in all his emotionally healthy material calls false peace. And let me show you some examples of peacekeeping and false peace. Luke is upset about the behavior of his spouse who constantly comes home late after work. He says nothing. Why? He thinks he is being like Christ by by not saying anything. He is being a peacekeeper. And this is false peace. Cheryl disagrees with her coworkers at lunch when they slander her boss. She is afraid to speak up, so she goes along. I don't want to kill the atmosphere by speaking up and disagreeing, she thinks. She is being a peacekeeper. And this is false peace peace. Mark goes to dinner with 10 other people. His finances are tight, so he orders only salad and an appetizer. Meanwhile, the other nine order appetizer, steak, wine, and desserts. When the bill comes, someone says, it will take forever to figure this out. Let's divide up the bill equally, and everyone agrees. Mark is dying on the inside, but won't say anything. He is being a peacekeeper, and this is false peace. Yolanda is engaged. She would like more time to rethink her decision before getting married, but is afraid that her fiance and family will get angry. So she goes through with the wedding. She's being a peacekeeper, and this is false peace. Ellen loves her parents. They are both quite critical about how she raises her children. Each holiday is filled with tension. Ellen doesn't say anything because she doesn't want to hurt their feelings. She's being a peacekeeper and this is false peace. Now here's what we have to understand in all these situations is that true true peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. Never. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. And it's so important that we understand this truth, that we get this in our hearts, because ultimately when we do this, we are being a peacekeeper, and it's not real peace. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. And Jesus does not call us to this. Jesus calls us to be a peacemaker. And here's my best definition of this. A peacemaker is someone who embraces conflict by lovingly and truthfully addressing issues with the goal of experiencing peace in their relationships and within themselves. If you want to know what Jesus calls us to, he calls us to be a peacemaker who is someone who embraces conflict by lovingly and truthfully. Those are not mutually exclusive. You don't have to choose one of the two. You can keep those together lovingly and truthfully addressing issues with a very clear goal. The goal of experiencing peace in their relationships and at worst experiencing within themselves. And this is who Jesus has called us to be. He has called us to be a peacemaker. And this word, the Hebrew word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7, the word that he would have used is this word shalom. And shalom, if you look at the, the biblical definition of that word, it's wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, inner rest, living without deficiency or lack. And Jesus says, hey guys, blessed are people who do that. Blessed are people who inject that into all their relationships. Like, like that, 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 that is people who do that. Like, and Jesus says, we are to make shalom that in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our work relationships. And let me just be honest, I've said this about, and honestly, I think it's everything when it comes to this topic. I just believe it, heart and soul that that is something, that right there, shalom, that is not something that we will ever naturally drift into. We will never just accidentally find ourselves in that type, experiencing that type of peace in our relationships. Like leave us alone, we'll never drift to experiencing that. I believe with all my heart that that's gonna take some effort, that's gonna take some work, that's gonna take some intentionality. Like it's gonna take us saying like, okay, I am going to fight for that. I'm gonna work towards that because I recognize that that is great, but it's also uphill and that it's hard. But everything great is on the other side of hard. And that's why I love Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 in the New Living Translation. Because it translates it this way. That God blesses those who work for peace. That it's going to take some work. And we see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 11. That says turn away from evil and do good. And then it says search for peace. That's active don't just wait around for it to come to you. You go search for it. And then once you find it, work to maintain it. The ironic thing about peace is that it has to be fought for. Like, like it's got to be pursued. It's got to, it's going to take some work and some effort. And, and listen, you can't fight for peace. You can't be a peacemaker without embracing healthy conflict. Now, I've I've got to kind of pause right here, and before I move on, I've just got to be honest. Um, I've had the hardest time figuring out how to end this message, Uh, because I felt like I could go a whole bunch of different directions. Like, there's so many things that could be said about this time. I think you could do a whole sermon series that's just based on this. There's so many practical tools and resources about conflict and about peacemaking. And, and let me just give you one, uh, because if you're here and you're like, man, I, I need, I, I'm not good at this. I need the practical, I need how to be able to do that. I mean, I felt like my assignment today was to make sure you knew what Jesus said about this, but there's a real practical side to this. And if you need help with that, I strongly encourage you to pick up this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in fact, read chapter seven, because chapter seven, it's entitled Grow into an Emotionally Mature Adult. And in there, it actually talks about conflict and how to handle that in an emotionally healthy way. I think it's really fantastic material. So if you need a little bit of practical, I wanna encourage you to go there But really, I want you to know a little bit of my process for how I do this. Um, Because, you know, for months in advance, we know the series that we're going into. Like right now, we have it all the way through, like December of where we're going and already thinking about the first of the year. And so we, we plan our series. And a lot of times we'll even plan like the weeks. So it's almost like we have the bones of everything. But then when it comes to the week of, that's when I really study and I write and I try to hear from God and kind of put the meat on the bones. And I, I do that because I, I tried doing it like weeks in advance. And what ended up happening every time is I felt like God told me something different that week. And so I'm like, I'm just not gonna fight this, okay? I'm just gonna, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm passionate about like hearing God. Like right now, what does our church need to hear? And I had such a hard time this week of how to finish. And um, this week I actually wrote three different messages, like three different endings to this message. And ultimately they all got left on the cutting room floor. And here's why, because God never gave me peace about any of them. Now, if you're wondering like, what were those things? Just stick around our church. I promise you, I'll eventually tell you. Uh, I've got, I've got a, at least a minimum 40 year assignment. I'm not going anywhere, so eventually I'll, I'll say it, okay? Um, but I want you to know that my responsibility today and every single day that I stand before you, that my mentality is that my responsibility is to say in public what God told me to say in private. And I take that job and I take that responsibility very seriously. In fact, in James chapter three, verse one, it says that anybody who communicates this book will be held accountable for what they say whenever they stand before God. And that demands that I take this responsibility very seriously. And so what that means is that if God doesn't give me peace to say something, I don't say it. That's a little insight into who I am is that if I don't have peace, I just can't, I can't say it. And so, I mean, I was struggling, I was stressing late last night and last night I was able to go to a wedding. And while I was at this wedding, I felt like God reminded me of something that's really been on my heart all series long, like something that I haven't been able to shake this entire series and it's this, that we can't do any of the stuff that we're talking about by ourselves. Like that we can't have emotionally healthy relationships all by ourselves, it's just too hard. And in week one, I talked about the importance that we needed each other, but the truth is, man, we need more than just each other, we need God. Like we can't do this stuff by ourselves. Here's the truth, all this stuff without God, and without the power of the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out, it's just self-help. It is just temporary behavior modification that won't work. And I know what it's like to be in church and to hear somebody like me stand on a platform and to be able to say some of the things that we hear in church all the time. Hear things like, God loves you, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, it becomes white noise. And so I think one of those things is that we need God. And I think it's so easy to be able to hear that sitting in church and hearing like, we need God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, Pastor Brian. And you just brush it off. And it's like, just get to the deep stuff. But the truth is until we get that, everything else is just a bandaid. Church, I'm telling you, we need God. But I want you to know why we need God. Like, why do we need God in our relationships? Why can we not do this on our own? And I felt like God gave me this verse last night in Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, that says that God has, get this, the underlying words, that he has glorious unlimited resources. Here's what that means. That God has everything that you need to live the life that Jesus died for you to have. Like when Jesus says, hey, I've come to give you not just eternal life, that's awesome, but I've also come to give you an abundant life. Like that God has everything that you need to actually live the life that Jesus paid for you to have. Let me put it this way that God has every bit of resources that you need to have awesome, emotionally healthy relationships that he's calling us to have. That's why I've encouraged you so much to make sure that you're right with God before you focus on other relationships. Because when you get that right, then you have access to those glorious unlimited resources. Listen, he has everything that you need to be the husband and wife that he is calling you to be. He has everything that you need to be the mom or dad or friend or girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance or coworker or teammate or boss. He has everything that you need to be the son and daughter, the brother, the sister, the the grandpa, the grandma that he is calling you to be. Listen, he has the peace that you need. He has all the wisdom that you need. He has all the patience that you need. He has all the humility that you need. He has all the strength that you need. He has all the hope that you need. He has all the perseverance you need so you don't give up and quit. Like God has everything that you need to have emotionally healthy relationships, church. He has glorious, unlimited resources. And today, so I challenge you, I step into my eightness. I step into how God made me and I step in. And today I challenge each and every one of you. I challenge every single person that's watching online. I challenge you that before you leave the church today, that you take some intentional time to fresh and anew declare your dependency on God. We're about to go into a time of response and I challenge you to create at some point within that eight to 10 minutes, a holy moment where it's just you and God to where you reconnect and say, I am desperate for you. I am dependent on you. I'm telling you, I, you will never outgrow that look me in the eyes. We never outgrow that. We never move on from that. We never graduate from that. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 40 days or you've been following for 40 years. The truth is, I can tell you this with full integrity in my heart. I need God today more than ever. I am desperate. I am dependent upon God. During worship, I found myself on my knees and I'm never doing that for show. I'm doing that because before I stand up here, I know who I am. I know what my past is. I know what I've done. I know all the ways that I fall short. And I know that before I come and do this, God, I need you But the truth is, I need God more than just standing up here holding this. I need God in my marriage. I need God in my parenting. I need God in my family. I need God in my finances. I need God in my friendships. I need God in how I spend my time. I need I need God so much for how to lead the church and to do what he's called me to do. I'm telling you, I need God and so do you. We never move on from that church. We never move on from needing God. And so today and every single day, I want to challenge you to take this posture that is found in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15 and 16, where Moses prays and he says, God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place for your presence, not our talent, that your presence among us, oh, that's what sets us apart from other people on this earth. If you wanna know behind the scenes, peek behind the curtain, this is an anchor verse for our team. This is the heartbeat of this church that we need. God, we need the presence of God. In our lives, so church, in our relationships, in everything, today and every day. Let that be our posture. We need God. If there is anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com/prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.